With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On this episode, we are in conversation with Land Grant Holy Land legend Luke Zimmerman to discuss the historic ass-kicking that occurred in the Sugar Bowl, what it means to Ohio State fans to avenge that Clemson loss, and how this team of Buckeyes matches up against Alabama. We also get into sign-stealing, and because it's Luke, we discuss the Houston Astros, as well as why everybody hates Dabo Sweeney. Okay, with all of that now out of the way, here's my conversation with the one and only Luke Zimmerman. All right, Luke, we are, I guess now, three days after the Ohio State victory over Clemson in the Sugar Bowl, and you have been out of the college football blogging world for, what, a year and a half, two years now? Um, So you are more of a fan watching games now than you used to be. As a fan, how satisfying was that win over Clemson on New Year's Day? Yeah, I think as an Ohio State fan and alumnus, uh, it has to be up there with really the, the most satisfying Ohio State wins I can think of in my lifetime. I mean, you go back to like the 96-97 Rose Bowl or, you know, 2016 Michigan game, beating Alabama in 2014. It was it was definitely up there. I think, if anything, it was just maybe the most cathartic Ohio State watch I've ever had. Okay. It just felt like getting this, you know, beating Arkansas in the Sugar Bowl that year had a, a little bit of a, a cloud over it with the, the Tackade investigation and some feeling that the players that ultimately played in that game shouldn't have, Terrell Pryor, Devere Posey, etc. But, uh, yeah, this this one didn't have the same level of controversy. If anything, Ohio State was at a disadvantage with some of the starters and players they were missing uh, just due to kind of the ongoing medical situation. We're all yeah. navigating our, our way through in the world. But, yeah, that was uh, that was certainly a relief would be a, a massive understatement, I would say, to to address that the outcome of that one. Now, as somebody who it was one of the best uh, Ohio State bloggers in all of Internet history, I imagine that back in the day, you would have had some fresh thoughts on one Dabo Sweeney. Do, do you have any uh, particular hot takes on him that you need to get off your chest, especially after the win? Well, speaking of hot takes, I don't know if I can possibly live up to that that billing that you just gave me. I, I, I definitely don't consider myself in that pantheon, but I will, I will definitely take the high praise and appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Uh, Dabo... 
I, I think as a journalism adjacent person uh, would be a compelling isn't even even the right word. I, I think he would be a a lightning rod of intellectual curiosity. Maybe would be the best way to put it if you're trying to like stay you know in the PC realm and and be you know objective or whatever you want to say uh, as a college football Twitterati alum or you know I guess if you want to get into my uh, we talked about in prepping for the show my not so illustrious QV from my previous life when I had about a 12 month <laughs> cup of coffee working for EDSBS uh, he would just be like the biggest joke lightning rod I think I could think of because uh, you know obviously he's somehow risen his ranks from wide receiver coach to interim head coach to head coach to multiple time national champion. I mean, even like the likes of Les Miles really only won one of those. Uh, if you're thinking of like maybe similar characters that are just like almost too weird to exist. Uh, and yet Dabo somehow has done that. Uh, I, I find him personally pretty grating. Uh, I, I think there are some things like, you know, no disrespect to Southerners as someone born and raised in Texas, no disrespect uh, to people of faith as someone brought up in the church, but just sort of the like levels of extreme of those things that he represents and idealizes is it can be just almost like a, not even a Barney Fife because there's like an innocence to that, but like almost like a, you know, what you used to see those infomercials in the nineties, like televangelism style, yeah. like the 700 club. I mean, that's the vibe that he gives me. It's, he lays it on awfully thick. I mean, the guy, you can't knock his, car salesman approach to recruiting, which seems to really work for him. And if anything, I'll, if I want to give credit where credit's due besides his outstanding resume, which I think speaks for itself. Uh, the guy <laughs> can hire really, really well. His assistants, you know, maybe they haven't done so well once they get out of the Dabo's nest or whatever you want to call it, the, the Dabo tree. But uh, he, he seems to identify and find guys that can bring something to his program, be it recruiting, be it strategy, be it some of the things Ryan Day and company accused them of doing on the defensive side of the ball. Nonetheless, whether espionage or legitimate or marketing, he seems to have a knack for bringing in the right people to accomplish the right thing. So, yeah, I, I personally am not the biggest fan of his. I I, I have enjoyed the uh, 72 hours, 96 hours, whatever we're at of kind of having fun with with what happened to them over the weekend. And, and certainly I, uh, I like to see him brought down a peck or two just because I think just some of the, the things he's said and some of just the ways he's carried himself in the last, I don't know, half decade or, or whatnot during Clemson's kind of peak have just been a bit much, to say the least. So I, I am definitely of the opinion to be enjoying this, this, yeah. this current stretch. You were much more diplomatic than I have been either in this podcast feed or on the Grand <laughs> Holy Land. So uh, yeah, I, I, I just don't I don't need someone cutting this audio, so, you know, strategically and using it to like to declare a, a fatwa on me or something. So, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Um, it's interesting because you mentioned something that has gotten a little bit of run um, over the last few days leading up to the game. And then but not really as big of a deal because no one really focused on it too much. But this idea that Brett Venables steals signs or or whatever was a you know something that Ryan Day actually brought up in press conferences and I honestly because I don't care about Clemson football outside of when Ohio State plays them it's not something that I'd heard of but I did hear something on Sirius XM on Monday where Rick Neuheisel who has apparently been plugged into Ohio State's program because he was the first one to kind of report uh, Chris Olave being out for the Big Ten Championship game. And he said that, according to his sources, a certain former Ohio State assistant football coach who is now a head coach in the ACC and whose name kind of rhymes with Craftly actually helped Ryan Day and the Ohio State team to kind of address how 
Brett Venable's quote unquote steals signs. Now I'm somebody, you know, maybe because I played baseball growing up, like if you're putting signs up on the sideline, like those are free game. I don't think this is a, uh, a Patriots, you know, video situation here, but just the kind of the fact that some of the old guard from Ohio state, Jeff Halfley coming in to help. Like, I kind of love that because of how much I hate Dabo Sweeney and everything that he stands for. (laughs) Yeah, I, I well, this is this is an interesting subject from about three, four different vantages for me. I identified myself as a a Texas native who currently resides there. Mm-hmm. I grew up a fan of the Longhorns, who were obviously rivals of Oklahoma, where Brent Venables really had kind of his, uh, I guess, breakout in the coaching career. His first job as a co-defensive coordinator, later a defensive coordinator with Bob Stoops, was very successful at OU. Uh, I went to Ohio State in the early 2000s and sort of decided, hey, I can't possibly root for, I don't know if you could call Texas a power at that time. They hadn't won that 2005 championship and had that awful soul-crushing Ryan Hamby game that made us all uh, cry in our beer and some of us get pepper sprayed as students walking home from the shoe that night. But uh, nonetheless, Venables had quite you know made a name for himself in the coaching ranks i remember hearing those rumors when i was like a high school reporter that went to texas football games so like this is not a new thing that's something that's been going on for a long time i also have to tell on myself and you know apologies to uh cleveland indian fans who i think may have one of the only gripes of one of their opponents <laughs> that did things honestly I know where this is stretch uh i am a lifelong houston astros fan um i am unapologetic about that and i also you know, I, I, I think it is unfortunate the Astros did what they did, but I also don't think they were anywhere near the only one, which to tie this all together, uh, I don't think Brent Venables is the only person out there doing this. Uh, and also, I think this no. this stuff goes both ways. I think a lot of what the baseball fraternity was unhappy with of the Astros doing, it wasn't just, I think, the... Uh, the fact that they were stealing signs or using technology to steal signs. The Yankees and Red Sox were busted for doing something very similar that same season. And no one seems to ever remember or care about that because they're the Yankees and Red Sox. Uh, (laughs) It's almost just sort of like the brazenness with which they carried themselves about doing it. Like the Astros were very, very cocky and very arrogant from, you know, the, even before their world series uh, winning season. And that, that run of younger, talented guys, the Carlos Correa's who've now become, you know, almost infamous in terms of how they carried themselves since and, you know, their lack of apologies or whatever you want to call it. I think that's maybe what burned Venables less than doing this to, to have the success that he allegedly has and having been able to do it for 20 years. It's hard pressed for me not to think that there wasn't a technology, technological component. I'm not saying that that means they were, you know, installing secret cameras or who knows, like that, that'd be all conspiracy theory stuff. But I think the fact that He's just he and Dabo carry themselves with a certain arrogance. I think that's what yeah. leads a Jeff Halfley to uh, not particularly care for that sort of behavior. Even if, you know, surely there's, you know, you go back to the the WikiLeaks scandal with a, a leaked uh, playbook getting handed to an opponent uh, that actually involved now South Carolina head coach uh, Shane Beamer. Um, he was actually a coach involved in that scandal, like turning a playbook over and like leading to espionage. So, like this stuff happens. Um, you know, he clearly paid a short term price and now six, seven years later, that guy is the head coach of an sec program. So, I mean, this stuff will, you know, you can certainly rehabilitate yourself after it. And the Astros made the ALCS playing baseball, honestly, in a pandemic with like a billion guys out to injury and COVID and stuff. So you can have success after the fact. I don't think Clemson is going anywhere, but yeah, I, I think it is. It's funny, you know, pride before the fall. If you, uh, if you do this, you know, whether you think it's outrageously unsportsmanlike or, you know, just sort of like you said, hey, if you're not if, if, if your signs are that easy to steal, get better signs. I, I think yeah. that's certainly one attitude you could take on the extreme, too. But if you do that stuff and, you know, 
talk mess about it, well, hey, you know, you can't be held responsible for what happens next. I did not think that we would be venturing into Astro's apologist uh, podcasting. Yeah, it's where, you know, I, I dodged the Dabo. I dodged the Dabo lightning bolt. But now I've uh, I've outed myself as a, a Houston Astros sign stealing truther. I so. should have. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so one of the things that I always loved about what you did uh, at SB Nation and at Land Grant Holy Land is you kind of had a really good big picture approach to everything that you wrote about. And I'm interested in your thoughts on this season as a whole and what Ohio State um, has gone through specifically, not just in terms of the stuff that's happened on the field, although the arc of this season has been incredibly interesting and very much uh, an up and down one, but also with the whole idea that they were doing it in the middle of a global pandemic. And we don't necessarily need to get into like, should they be playing football right now? Because that's beside the point. But uh, I do kind of wonder what you feel like the story of this season means in the larger context of Ohio State football history. Yeah, gosh, that's that's quite the loaded snowball. I also don't want to give myself credit for being a good big picture person because certainly <laughs> when the site started, I wasn't. I think we found our sea legs and, and did pretty well there and kind of moved up the echelon of, of readership there and maybe like around the time Ohio State was last competing for a national championship. I still will take it and appreciate the extreme kind words. You don't have to flatter me to be on your podcast. I promise <laughs> that. Uh, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. I wouldn't say it if uh, I didn't believe it. That, that means an awful lot. I don't think that we need to relitigate that stuff like you said. Uh, I think there are a lot of strong, passionate opinions that come from some places intellectual, some places emotional. And it's it's it is what it is like we you know what regardless of what happens it's happened so i don't think that that is necessarily you know going to do us any favors if we sort of venture back down that road i think like what we do have to consider is uh almost the uncertainty and i, I think this you know there seems to be this group of people that like to poo-poo the idea that this is adversity i think whether you think this season should be happening or not whether you know regardless of your political or amateur epidemiological background or thinkings or leanings or readings uh, that has no impact on on like what the toll this has been on young people. And it, I don't think this is even like a specific to a football player thing. Like this has been a very hard year in all walks of education. And yeah. these, you know, at the end of the day, regardless, again, like we don't need to go down the road about amateur compensation, the like hypocrisy of the amateur model or anything like that. Like these are still students who are doing this for nothing uh, or they're doing it for a the same sort of scholarship that you get for having you know, been in the right honor societies and having a good GPA and standardized test scores. Like they are getting a college education, which is great and has value, but they are putting in 50 to 60 hours of really, really hard, physical, mentally grueling work in a pandemic with no extra precautions, no bonus pay, no hazard pay. Uh, they get tested a lot, which, hey, sounds great to those of us that live in places where that is either hard or yeah. if you do it, you don't find out the results until you may be better or on the road to recovery. Uh, but that sucks, like getting those things jammed up your nose every day, seven days a week, having to get up hours early to do that before you go have, you know, people slam into you at 100 million miles per hour that are built like Superman. Uh, I, I think it's it's been really hard and, and trying. And I, it's going to be hard pressed for us to see a season like this again. The closest analog, I guess, would be, you know, going all the way back to like the turn of the last pandemic, which is insane to think about. Though I think kind of a lot of the same logistical problems. It obviously wasn't the, the revenue generator having like those political forces influencing that season being played. But like those guys played a reduced season load. And I don't think, you know, obviously I'm nowhere near old enough to have any like even 
second or third hand knowledge of, of how the deliberations with that stuff went down. Uh, it just seemed kind of like a season in the historical footnotes. Like you don't see asterisks. You don't see like, oh, this season was hard and difficult. Yeah. But this is so much fresher to us. This is you know something that we've witnessed firsthand. And, and we, I think, have seen this Ohio State team. To me, I mean, it's, it's no shocker. This is a top two talent team in the country. There's no question. We saw last year that clearly they have the leadership in place uh, at the top on down in this coaching staff to do what they're doing right now. But we didn't see a lot of evidence that this what they did against Clemson and what they're now you know, on the precipice of potentially doing against Alabama was even in the cards. It just, I, I don't think I saw going into that game that, you know, obviously anything can happen in a football game, but that was not a outcome that I would have put any amount of money on as being probable. Like you could have told me Ohio state wins and I would have believed you, but I would have not believed that Ohio state would just absolutely dunk on Clemson for, for 60 minutes. And that's basically what happened. So these guys are now on the verge of playing for a national championship after going through you know, months and months of uncertainty, physical, mental uh, you know, trauma, I mean, very literally, but just certainly hardships. Uh, I know they're just guys running around exercising on a football field, and some of them are going to make a lot of money. Like one person of them will make a lot of money for the, the privilege of doing that. Um, the rest will have to settle for a free education if, if you want to be really cynical about it. But hey, I mean, I think that these guys have been through a lot. They've earned this opportunity. This is, you know, you can think about Ohio State fans, I think, aren't even to the point of being spoiled about it. Ohio State's opponents fans might well be, given how often they seem to be playing for national titles or very, very close to be. Uh, but this isn't something that, you know, some of these guys will never have this opportunity again. Like, this is the peak of the mountaintop. And I think those players should personally enjoy it. We should secondhand, you know, as fans. Uh, obviously, we haven't played anywhere near the cost, though I know some folks listening probably have had a really rough year, as we all have. But uh, I think it is, uh, it's definitely a historical it is unprecedented and uh, i think just on a human level it's it's hard not to feel good for these guys to have the chance to, you know regardless of what happens if, if they get you know clemson the way ohio state did clemson uh they still made it this far and i think that's a heck of a testament to how hard they fought to get here yeah i i came into this season without obviously knowing who would be playing for the national championship but i came in thinking that there's an argument to potentially be made that there should be an asterisk on whoever wins this national championship, not because it won't be a legitimate championship, but because I think there's a legitimate argument to say that it might be the most difficult national championship to secure in the history of college football, given all of the additional hoops that had to be jumped through. And perhaps just because of the way that college football is constructed these days, it ends up being three of the top you know, programs that are always in the conversation. So maybe it isn't all that much different than previous years. But given all the stuff that you mentioned, I just kind of figured like whoever gets through the gauntlet of this season, no matter how many games they play or didn't play, um, that there's just something different about this year. And I don't know if that'll ever be reflected in the historical record or just in people's memory or not. But this has just been so weird and so different that you have to give everybody credit who – I mean, has made it through the season at all, whether or not you think they should have done it in the first place. Um, but totally tons of credit to the Ohio State and Alabama teams that are going to be playing on Monday night. But I, I wonder for you, as you did watch this game, not something necessarily either of us expected. You see Justin Fields go absolutely nuts having as many touchdown passes as he did interceptions. You see Trey Sermon go for nearly 200 yards coming off the record-setting day that he had in the Big Ten Championship game. You see a defense that has been much maligned throughout the season for, you know, as as much as you can shut down a Trevor Lawrence-led offense, completely shut them down. 
what do you think was the most exciting or or interesting or compelling part of that game on Friday night? If you just had to pinpoint one, what was the thing that like really made you sit up and take notice the most? Yeah, there's there's about four or five different things we could we could take from that. You know, the most exciting, most compelling, and most interesting in this game of you know that was really just almost like a labyrinth of uh, not even just I wouldn't even call it like intellectual football. Some of it is just basic strong you know high man win sort of thing like just football brutalism uh, i think there's a lot of interesting takeaways to have there i think uh the most exciting to me were some of these bomb plays that justin fields was hitting on which really haven't seen him do this year with any level of consistency i think i said before ohio state blowing out clemson as an outcome being just like absolutely unpredictable to me and like it would have been something that i would consider the least probable of outcomes i yeah. i almost i and i think and maybe this is just you know being gun shy from being on the wrong end of losses to clemson as a fan and as someone covering the buckeyes for a decade uh i almost expected ohio state to get blown out the way notre dame did against alabama um because it that makes the most sense to me in terms of i guess expectations and rationalizing <laughs> these kinds of things yeah uh I would say even less probable than Ohio State blowing out Clemson to me would be Justin Fields having that kind of game. Not that he's not capable of that. We saw that all the time last year. We just hadn't seen that in 2020 uh, in this like weird shortened year where he's also dealt with some, you know, getting banged up and some, I guess, struggling with some schematic and some mental aspects against the likes of Indiana and Northwestern who, who have really well coached defensive teams. And we expected this to be much the same and it just wasn't the case. So uh, I think to me, Justin Fields having that game sort of bringing him back to that echelon, like having him be the one B to one A is in the topic of, of best quarterbacks in the country was really special and, and very interesting and also just unpredictable. Uh, the most exciting, you know, I mentioned the bomb plays. I found those really awesome to watch. I also really loved seeing a defensive end, group that was very thin and had to play yeah. a lot of snaps because the guys behind them had, had all dealt with either COVID positivity or other injuries or both who knows maybe they weren't in football shape even if they were testing negative or through the Big Ten's protocol I think that was really uh I guess exciting maybe not be the right words just watch like Trevor Lawrence getting held to a one-yard gain or I, I think Travis Etienne's box score when you go back and look at him and that is you know going to be a guy that's maybe you know the best or second best incoming nfl rookie running back in the, the 2021 class he did absolutely nothing and that is a huge testament not just to the you know wherewithal and endurance and just superhuman effort of all the guys in the defense but also schematically carrie coombs who i've been critical of i i think he's an yeah. incredible recruiter and i think he is almost like a second or third mascot for the buckeyes uh, i think that those things have value <laughs> but i have i have questioned openly whether he was you know, keen to do this kind of level of schematic game planning. And he, that was his masterpiece. That was, you know, that was hang that in the Louvre. It was just unreal to see that level of preparedness from, from one of his defenses, which we just really hadn't seen this fall. We hadn't had the opportunity in some senses, but he just, any of his best defensive games had been against much, you know, more paltry opposition that were already at such a disadvantage from a talent perspective. Um, I think there's there's so many other little microcosms you could slice and dice. I think like where that game was ultimately won or lost was in the trenches. As, as I sort of mentioned, it's not anything like even necessarily schematic. Ohio State won the line of scrimmage on the offense. They won the line of scrimmage on the defense. And sometimes football is just that simple, right? And yeah. I think uh, Clemson has outstanding both of those, especially on the offensive line. Uh, this defensive line group, very talented, is maybe not like 
the best Clemson defensive line of the past couple of years. And please don't fact check that. Um, I'm doing this with little no, I think no you're fair. I think that's fair. To, that's fair. So to show you, but I like their offensive line is a bunch of four and five stars. Clemson for a long time was doing a lot with a little, uh, a little as being a little hyperbolic, but Dabo recruited character above all else and that's not to say that he's bringing in you know these guys with like rap sheets or you know big red flags or anything anymore but clemson has finally taken advantage of the you know quote-unquote brand and they're bringing in five-star guys uh they had a five-star offensive lineman that they poached from the buckeyes backyard and he did almost nothing and just he got was destroyed i mean he yeah, was embarrassed so I, on friday night yeah so seeing stuff like that i that that to me is you know if you, you want to wait add all those superlatives into a, a, a mixer and shake it up and put it in a glass. That to me, those, those battles on the lines that Ohio state, not just won but dominated on both sides. It's really what set the tone. And I think it's also going to be kind of, you know, it may well determine the national championship game. If they can have a similar level of dominance, which I think is going to be almost impossible to do it twice in a row against, you know, equally, if not superior talent, uh, is, is, is interesting. If they do it, I mean, it's going to be like a run. Like we saw Zeke, what we've also seen with Trey Sermon, where these guys just catch lightning in a bottle and play to their their absolute peak potential for X number of games in a row to to kind of get it across the finish line. If if the offensive and defensive lines can do that again, or if the defensive line gets some added you know help from some of these guys that are recovering and getting healthy from from illness or injury, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, you brought up Alabama, and since you have admitted to living in the SEC footprint, as I do uh, as well, uh, I wonder what you think just with still a, more than a week as we record this, more than a week before this game. Obviously, I'm going to be going up against a team that has two Heisman Trophy finalists, uh, another running back in Najee Harris, who probably should have been one. Um, we also are getting reports now as we record. I'm seeing people saying that Jalen Waddle is expected to return back to practice for Alabama on Tuesday. So between Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, um, Devontae Smith on offense, like that's a huge test for Kerry Combs and Ohio State's defense. With a week to go, what is your general feeling for how this game might shake out on uh, on Monday night? Yeah, I hadn't even seen the Waddle stuff. And if he's even 75%, I mean, man, I think that was one of Ohio State's uh, I, I don't want to say it's like a gimme because the, I don't want to show that level of disrespect to Clemson's talent. Their wide receiver group was weaker than any of these other teams that beat up on the Buckeyes or beat Ohio State. Rather, last year's team, I think you could argue Ohio State was the better team. But regardless, Clemson's wide receivers are not. They had basically one guy that is, you know, a surefire NFL it guy. And I think many people will agree. Maybe the worst part of Ohio State's game on you know this past week was yeah. Sean Wade. Um, so the Buckeyes were fortunate in that they, uh, they had sort of one player who is still adjusting to a new position had only played it for seven games and while he's extremely talented uh also dealt with some being away from the team opting out a bunch of you know physical psychological things that i think are going to impact somebody of that age regardless of their skill set level and now they're going to be going against not even just the best wide receiver in the country but maybe what some sec coaches have called the best wide receiver they've ever seen and just yeah. think about you know now that's not even just alabama that's 
all these guys, you know, Chase uh, from LSU, Justin Jefferson, who's, you know, if not the NFL's offensive rookie of the year is definitely in that conversation. Um, and then Alabama just is a factory for, you know, Jerry Judy, uh, Henry Ruggs, the third, um, you know, all the guys on the Falcons, be it Ridley, Julio Jones, and then some of these other guys. And that's like Amari Cooper. I mean, that that is an insane level of 15 years of NFL like wide receiver ones, all of them are like six, four and run, you know, four, four forties. So for them to say that, you know, Devonte Smith is, is, is that guy I think is, is praise like we haven't seen. And I think it's going to take every bit of game planning and every bit of, um, I don't even know what you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> like preparation, execution, um, sort of a, a combination of all those things from a coaching and a player perspective, um, to make that, you know, not the Achilles heel for the Buckeyes. The secondary, I think, has been like the biggest weakness. And, and the talent again there is it's sort of similar to the the Clemson wide receiver class on that. It's like it's talented, but it's raw. It's not all there. They have about one guy. That one guy has not been consistent for the Buckeyes at all. I, I think even the biggest Ohio State homers will recognize that that defensive back of the year award was on reputation and not on performance this season. Completely. Um, yeah, so that that's what I think is is scary. And hearing Waddle back just like adds those, you know, that fear and trepidation. If I, you know, I made a prediction the last time you had me on a year, year and a half ago for a Michigan game. Uh, remember when we had Michigan games? Oh. Um, yeah, uh, that the Buckeyes would win a close one or something like that, and it wound up being like the first of two blowouts. So if I, you know, I, I don't want to hold myself to that level because I just there's. There's so much there. I think my gut is that Ohio State loses the closest one. I don't know if that's like 7, 10, 13. Alabama is, I, I think if you break down the numbers and look at them objectively, this is a team that like just grades out on paper and you know on the field, on tape, however you want to frame it, as being one of really the elite teams in college football history. It's not just like a playoff era team. This team isn't last year's LSU team, but they're not far off. I mean, if you rank uh, Bill Conley or you know, one of my former colleagues at SB Nation, who's now at ESPN, uh, you know, trigger alert, sorry for those of you that, <laughs> that subscribe to those theories, but Bill is uh, by no means an Ohio State hater, and he typically regards, especially Ryan Day's offenses, in very, very high regard. Uh, but he broke down the numbers and looked at all the teams and in, in playoff history. I think the Buckeyes had a pretty low grade with an asterisk saying that, you know, if they found their 2014, you know, Big Ten championship and on form, he could have them as high as the third or fourth best team in, or fourth or fifth best team in college football playoff history. If they were able to get two wins, they're halfway there now. So, I mean, this is now a team that has elevated themselves yeah. from that lower echelon. Uh, but this Alabama team, like he had them, you know, going into the playoff as like the, the third or fourth best team in college football playoff history. So behind, you know, last year's legendary LSU team, the best Alabama team and like maybe the best Clemson team. So that's the level of opponent. Like, hey, great. You got the monkey off your back. You beat Clemson. That's something that all of us are going to remember forever. Now you have to do it again against somebody that's even better. That's it's a really tall order. And I remember last year, Trevor Lawrence, uh, I was reminded during the 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 game when all these guys were getting hurt this year's game for Ohio state and Clemson that Lawrence said the national title game for them against LSU wasn't just hard because LSU was this amazing team, which they were, it was that they were so beat up from having played Ohio state, which he said was yeah. like the most physical game he'd ever played. And then all of his teammates were like just on the men. They didn't feel like they had enough time to recover. And they, Oh, all of a sudden they have to go against this other team that is like just as big and strong and fast and talented all over again. And that was really hard for them to prepare for. And, they ultimately, you know, they had a, a targeting call, which I think, you know, world's smallest violin. None of us are going to give them a pass for that. And they had one this year, which, hey, uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Right. Um, but, 
yeah, it's going to be tough for the Buckeyes, I think, to, to bounce back from that physical and mental drop-off. And something else I pointed out, uh, and again, I'm not trying to be like Debbie Doomsday or anything, but this was the mountaintop for a lot of these guys was getting past Clemson because that's something that not just them, but their predecessors. I mean, going back to Woody Hayes, Ohio State hadn't been yeah. able to beat Clemson. They've done it, uh, and that's amazing, and we'll remember it forever. But uh, this isn't, you know, in 2014, the Buckeyes slayed the Giant, and then they had one more game, but it was against the inferior opposition. This is the opposite. This is, they slayed the Giant, and oh, oh wait, there's an even bigger Giant waiting <laughs> just beyond, like, while you're still nursing your wounds. So, uh, I think that's going to be an awfully, you know, steep challenge. You think of like the Miracle on Ice, which this isn't. This isn't like you know amateurs against pros or anything like that. These are very similarly talented teams, but you know the U.S. upsets the Soviet Union and then they play a much lesser team. That's sort of more like the 2014 arc, though. Obviously, the talent differential was much closer between those two teams. Uh, you know, you beat Alabama, you get Oregon, which is a nice reprieve. Even though Oregon was a solid team, very good team. They weren't, you know, they are in Alabama or Clemson. So I think this is just going to be a really, really hard test. Can the Buckeyes do it? I mean, we saw it. If they play like they did, you know, on New Year's Day, they can absolutely do it. Do I expect them to? You know, I'm, I'm sort of in a hope for the best, prepare for the worst sort of mind state yeah. right now. So I, I would I would guess right now that it's about a nine. If you're if you're a wager, like I would put the line at about nine and a half. I think it's probably actually like eight and a half or seven and a half for the tide. Um, so I, I think Bama by like nine or ten is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, of course, like if there's some like nightmare injury or something on either sides, the 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 waddle, you know, maybe we give him another half point or a point for that if he's even like remotely playable. I, it's crazy to me that he's missed all this time and he's just expected to come back and like, oh, go play for a national title. Like he's not gonna have forgotten these these routes or anything, but will his body be there to right. match kind of what he knows in his head? I think that's something else to watch as well. If he's right, that's just that makes it that much harder. Well, and I think it's interesting that we still have the specter of coronavirus tests that have to happen between now and next monday um will yeah we saw that with clemson i mean like the yeah. sec I, the sec testing standards as i understand it and i, I don't follow the the medical stuff as closely as, as even some of the like ohio state super fans out there uh it's <laughs> more uh stringent than the acc's which was basically just like whatever gets clemson to play seemingly um it'll be more than that but it will still be less strict than what the buckeyes have to deal with which is you know i, I can understand from a competitive standpoint frustrating even if from like a human or moral standpoint makes sense so yeah i i, I think you've got all of that and if something happens who knows They've put out official rescheduled dates, um, which I thought was kind of interesting that they preemptively said if something happens, we'll push the games to here. So that's in there. Who knows if that helps Ohio State and Justin Fields get healthy or if it helps Jalen Waddle get his sea legs under him. It's it's a super interesting, you know, kind of way to look at this game with still a week to go. And if you'd have told me they were playing Alabama in the national championship game four days ago, I would have thought that they'd get destroyed. But after having seen them play Clemson and seeing them finally put together some things that a lot of us have been calling for all season, I feel a little optimism that I didn't anticipate feeling. So uh, while I'll reserve judgment for another week or so before the game uh, and I make a final pick, like I'm kind of feeling like Ohio State has a much better chance than I certainly would have given them this time last week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm 100% aligned there. I think if you had told me Ohio State's playing Alabama for the national championship this time, you know, <laughs> before the game last week or whenever, I don't understand how time works in this, you know, no. <laughs> not even just pandemic, but like the two weeks after Christmas before 
work restarts today for basically all of us or this week, I guess, for those of you listening after the fact. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have absolutely been right there with you. I would have said, OK, well, they they want to shoot out or they eked across the finish line that that's the season like great year. You know, uh, I, I feel differently now because we've seen the proof is in the pudding that this team has. They still have that high level ability to do this. Will they do it? I think that is a tougher question to answer. Uh, I, it's going to be awfully hard, but I think that's the beauty of having these one-off games. If Justin Fields is healthy and right, and I think that, you know, we talked about all these, like Alabama, you know, we've talked about how they're just this super team and they pretty much always are, but if Justin Fields isn't right, um, it's, that's, you know, that's what I was most worried about going into Clemson game was his thumb wouldn't be okay or yeah. they have some of those same mental gaps that he did against the likes of Indiana and Northwestern. Uh, yeah, I, I think, like, if he is has any lingering effects from the punishment that he took against Clemson, we can probably go ahead and, and forget this. I, 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 you know, the next man up mentality, we were so spoiled by what happened last time. That is so ahistorical. Like most teams, you know, <laughs> we saw it with Clemson. They went to their backup, and I know that they had a close game against Boston College. Shout out to Jeff Hafley, and then they wound up losing to Notre Dame in double overtime. But their backup was even better than, than Trevor Lawrence from a statistical standpoint. I mean, obviously, it's different when you have a true freshman in there. That's not normal. And I don't think the Buckeyes should ex- you know, expect C.J. Stroud or anybody else if they have to wind up playing to just it to be seamless and for them to be Justin Fields. Though, hey, you know, I mean, this is an era where we're seeing guys go to the next level more prepared than their college equivalent. We've seen this uh, in, in college football as well, where these four and five star guys are so prepared by the complexity of some of the offenses that these like super programs in high school football now, especially from a, you know, Florida, you're not going to the woods or Texas and mine where like, you know, these stadiums outside Dallas that have like, you know, 50,000 seats and stuff like that. I mean, it's just crazy how, how professionalized and advanced some of these high level six, a high schools are, but some of these guys, like, you know, we, uh, this is not even apples to oranges remotely, but Texas is Sam Ellinger, uh, a game that like a bunch of my family members that are Texas fans were watching. So I was kind of keeping one eye on while, you know, I did some reading or something. Uh, Sam Ellinger goes down their quarterback. Who's a four year starter, uh, a redshirt sophomore. I think Casey Thompson comes in and he hadn't played a, like a meaningful snap all season and he looked better than Ellinger. So weird stuff <laughs> does happen, but I think just like, Again, we're talking about one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the country. If he's not right and they have to go to this guy who has barely played any meaningful snaps, that to me is where the fantasy goes from, you know, improbable to impossible or nearly impossible. Right. So we'll just have to see. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't come to that and everybody is healthy and ready to go whenever the game is uh, is actually played in Miami. But Luke, as always, I appreciate your insight and your perspective, even if you are not as neck deep in college football as you were a few years ago but i always appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk about ohio state football with us yeah i love to do it love to, to dip my toe back in i'll be you know having a, a nice refreshing cold adult beverage and enjoying the game and uh <laughs> trying to fight off a panic attack just like the rest of you scarlet and gray bleeding uh super fans out there so appreciate you having me and thanks so much for everybody for listening Thank you for listening to this episode of Langer and Holy Land in conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to Luke. You can and you should follow him on Twitter at Luke Zim. That's at L-U-K-E-Z-I-M. And if you are finding this podcast on our website, don't forget to go to your favorite podcasting app and subscribe so that you get all of the Langer and Holy Land audio goodness downloaded directly to your phone every day. Also, don't forget to follow Langer and Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33, and you can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.